It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. Uh, Dr. Jeremy, what are we going to be talking about today? All right, Tom. So today we are talking about enhancing interdisciplinary connections, integrating IO psychology with related fields. So what does that mean? So there are other fields. We talk so much about like you know finding your niche area in IO and how beneficial that can be but when you look at this from a pra- from a practical and you know be applied and then see obviously the research which comes first aspects of it i just posted a document excuse me a document in the chat just of some uh, a list of i don't know maybe there's 25 30 of these where what are other disciplines that can uh like a mutuality beneficial loop between IO psychology and these other fields. And as I started to dig deeper and deeper, I pulled out two specific things that we can talk about today. Uh, One specifically is looking at neuroscience and organizational behavior. There is just fascinating. I was digging too deep and I was like, look, I got to stop doing this. I got to get to something else. So much interesting stuff in terms of neuroscience. The basis of what we'll be sharing on that is Okay, we have organ, we have person, we have assessments. We can do trainings, we can do assessments, we can do 360s, but there's this whole other field of uh neuroscience and organizational behavior where basically they're they're putting you into the uh, you know, they're putting these electrodes on your brain and they're doing all these tests and stuff, but they can actually show uh, for example, pers- like if somebody's gonna be a narcissistic leader or not, they can show all these uh um communication lines in terms of active brain development or not brain development, but in terms of like active brain areas in terms of messaging, visioning for leadership. So that's interesting. And then of course, IO psychology as it regards to technology, but some of the other areas that will be this, that 
oh, my doctor's closed on me. That's how it works. So some of the uh, other inter interdisciplinary areas, we've got, of course, HR, right? That's the closest thing. We often get um, confused with HR. Some people say, look, it's the closest thing. I say it's pretty far away. Uh, management science, industrial engineering. So these are other disciplines like behavioral economics. That can help, for example, with insight and employee, employee motivation and decision-making. You've got public health, how IO psychology can contribute to workplace wellness, pro wellness programs. Of course, data and analytics, even as far as uh, ergonomics, how IO psychology, and there's actually a lot of studies on this one, can contribute to with the, the designing of ergonomically sound work environments, public administration, um, human computer interaction, criminal justice and forensic psychology, environmental psychology, entrepreneurship, agriculture and environmental psychology, anthrop anthropology, political economy. And those are just some to name a few. And those of you uh, here can see that uh, document that I put in there. So I'll pull it back over to you, Tom. And then when the time is right, I'm going to get into to two of these particular articles to get a little deep into how these things can connect. And of course, completely open. Uh, it's open mic. Anyone here can raise your hand. Of course, we do have our uh, uh, standard contributors, I would say, in the panel that you will all recognize and love to hear from. But of course, anyone can raise your hand, add some information, add your thoughts, your insights on any of these areas. Yes, uh, Kyla just put in sports psychology. That's huge. I missed that. That's not on here. Thank you, Kyla. And uh, I do want to say this, Tom. So this, I was saying this before we started recording. This is the first time I've been back with everyone. Uh, Dr. Destiny Pre did the the podcast for uh, did this event last week. Tom, we 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 put a survey out after the three day event, and when I looked at the preliminary data that was coming in in terms of the survey responses, I think it was last week. Your session, Tom, on speech presentation skills, that was the highest rated one. And I'm interested to see if you got knocked off for one, but kudos, because that was just by far. And when we, we, when we got the comments uh, in terms of the qualitative data, the, all the, the actual comments, it was uh, Tom, this, Tom, that, this was so helpful. So Tom, uh, absolute kudos to you. Tom, I'm going to, where's Tom? Is Tom still here? Did he fall off? Did you not hear my, where's Tom? Linda Ann, do you see Tom? Oh no, Tom didn't hear my kudos. All right, he might be. <laughs> he might. Nick, uh, Doc, uh, Rajanik. Yeah. Yes. Hello. You don't see Tom? I don't see Tom either. No. Okay. He might be having some tech difficulties. I guess I'll have to redo the kudos when I when I see him again. <laughs> but either way, kudos kudos to Tom. So, with that said, feel free to raise your hands. As you raise hands, I'll call on you. So I'll, you know how I flounder around when I take try to take Tom take Tom's place. Um, and then if anyone is asking for the files, uh, anyone can just download them and put them back in so others can access them. But feel free to raise your hands. I'll keep an eye on that. But what I'm going to do is dive a little deep into this particular article and try to also monitor to see when Tom's, pop Tom's popping back in. So I'm going to pretend that Tom says to me, well, Jeremy, what does it mean when? So I'll, I'll take his ghost lead here. So there's this article, it's called Neuroscience in Organizational Behavior, and it's it's exciting. 
So this particular, and again, with our topic today, how does IO psychology feed into other disciplines and pull from other disciplines? So we all, we all think, you know, we have an idea what neuropsychology is. We're talking about brain function, those kinds of things. So this particular article was uh, built around and organ organized around two different themes, intrinsic, which is at rest activity and looking at trait like information to help understand ind like individual traits like cognitive cognition, emotion and behaviors. We talked a lot of, a little bit about this in the beginning and then reflexive activity to understand what it's like and and like state like responses to stimuli. The interesting thing when your brain's at rest, it's actually as active because it doesn't mean it's not active at all. It's just at rest. When your brain's at rest, just like when you're sleeping, your brain is actually more active oftentimes or at least as active as when you're awake. And we think about we can think about some of how that works. When you're at rest or when you're sleeping, there's so many areas of your brain that are functioning. When you're awake or when you're at concentrating on something, you're really activating a certain portion of your brain. So you can look at this any way you want, but you can see how the cumulative effect of multiple parts of the brain can mean more brain activity overall than a, a particular awake type of focused activity. So this particular article gets into all these neuro-based concepts and methods. Stuff I can't pronounce. I'm going to try. Uh, quantitative, quantitative electroencephalogram. It's a QEEG. And then we've got these other things that measure actually actual blood. And we'll get into that. So when we look at broader like psychological issues like moral reasoning and judgment and emotion, that's when we're looking at this whole kind of idea of social cognitive neuroscience. And then when we're looking at broadening our understanding of like people at work and these different organizational processes, we're looking at something called ON, which is organizational neuroscience. I'm going to look through some of the stuff that I have highlighted. I don't see any hands up that I have highlighted in terms of how we generally look at organizational research which is limited. And there's also problems. When you look at your typical surveys, let's just take a 360 survey, right? You have self-report data, and then you have data from other people, your boss, your peers, and often a category named as other. Uh, there's, there's faking, there's people who rush through, maybe some things aren't clear. It all depends on how well the assessment's put together. So there's different things that can happen. But here, as stated in this research, the brain cannot lie or fake, and it's assessed through neurosensing methods. So your brain simply just can't lie or fake. Whatever they see is what's what, whatever they see in your brain. It's actually brain activity and it's happening. And it's also assessed here on a millisecond basis. And, and, and researchers can see where the brain's at rest or reacting to a stimulus. So because it's so quick, you can look at this as more of an ongoing assessment because we also think about it, it bothers me when I have to say, when someone asks a question and I have to say, well, that depends on the situation, especially during coaching scenarios or during any kind of personality assessments. Cause to me, that's just not good enough, but it's okay. It's perfectly fine to say that. And obviously it does make sense, but what this type of, when we look at this whole neuroscience, neuroscience, and this organizational neuroscience in particular, there are ways and methods 
what many of you are thinking is probably what I was thinking. Okay. So you want, you know, you want people walking around with, uh, electrodes taped to their brains all the time. That's not exactly it, but there is implications like this kind of thing has been used for executives where they actually, uh, put them up. They look like they're in a sleep study with a, things all over their heads, but it allows them to gain more, uh, feedback on different stimuli, thus helping them better understand what stresses them out, how they cope, what are certain triggers. And so that is actually being done. And there's a company out there that actually does this. But when you look at it from a research standpoint, there are uh, these these different assessments, or not assessments, uh, neurological tests. And I'll, sh I'll show how they provide data to help with leadership competencies, et cetera. But before I do that, I see some hands going up. Let's go to Rajanik, Dr. Modest. So as you were talking about um, the brain can't lie, what I was imagining is when we're, we're either conducting these assessments or coaching someone and we're asking them for, their, for them to be transparent and vulnerable about a particular situation, if we were to hook them up to the electrodes and no, we can't have them walking around looking, looking crazy. Um, but it would show us that they're not really revealing the truth in what they're, they're entirely experiencing, right. Or, or they, or how they feel about the situation They're They're holding that back while their mouth might say something, their brain is really giving us an accurate picture. Is that what I'm, I'm, I'm really hearing. I would say yes. In addition to that, think of just simply because we're human, think of all these things, right? Like confirmation bias. We look for information that is like what we already believe, those kinds of things. Right. We all have self-interest. So we have self-serving interest. So there's so many different things. How often do we lie to ourselves? How often do we justify a purchase? Because we can, because we can sit there and justify it. And you look at part of consulting and coaching is getting to the underlying problem or issue. And this, adding to what you said, can help uncover the underlying and really bring everything to the top. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm curious as to what techniques we, additional techniques we can use instead of hooking people up to electrodes and uh, really getting to the bottom of, of what's going on. Um, I'd imagine part of this conversation is those tools and techniques we can use adjacent to the uh, the hooking up of those electrodes on the brain. Yeah. Some of it's blood. It's not all electrodes. They do have tests where they're actually me measuring uh, oxygen level and those kinds of things in the blood. So let's, we're going to, we're going to possibly put this uh, particular thing just in terms of the neuroscience on the back burner, because we can come back to this. And then we can also get into the, uh, the tech side. The important thing is there's some hands raised. I like the organic nature of these conversations. So we can take this in any direction, knowing that we uh, we can certainly come back. Linda Ann. So I love this stuff. And and I have some questions about how it could be used. And one is, you know, if someone were to say, feel like they really needed to develop their leadership skills or maybe. So, for example, they really needed to enhance their emotional intelligence to become a better leader. Uh, would they be able Does this give them that kind of feedback where they like say they're prone to react in anger or something like that, and they need to get that under control. Would this be able to give them the kind of feedback where it would give them notification, whether it's a noise or a buzz or something like that, having done biofeedback before? Uh, 
where it lets them know what's going on in their brain or why they're reacting like that so that they can work on addressing that behavior initially. And then would there also, my other question is, would there also be value in having them do the the kind of evaluations and assessments that we typically do, whether it's the 360 or however you want to define those um, evaluations, then do this this, um, feedback, the bio neurological feedback, and identify the differences, and would that be helpful to the person to say, okay, what you're you're outwardly saying is X, but what your body is saying is Y, and how do we integrate that information into changing behavior? Yeah, so those are all great great questions. So in this particular article, I love their practice. There's a most articles do a practical implication section. So I'm going to read some of that, which will answer a couple of the questions. Then I'm going to provide just a snippet of how it's done that way, giving a little bit of the, a full scope in case this goes a different way. Um, so the practical impl- implication. So the EEG technology has been already applied to leadership development, like I mentioned before, to help executives remain calm in stressful situations. The company I was mentioning, it's called Advanced Brain Monitoring. monitoring and that uh, is more like the the, the commercial aspect of, of doing it. So in the, it says here in the future, we expect academically based applications to emerge, such as neurofeedback to improve leadership skills of MBA students. This type of research, this is the this is the fun part. Well, it's all the fun part. And then I'll go back to what Dr. Destiny Preet always says. Well, it depends on your definition of fun. Well, this is my definition of fun. ON research can be utilized to identify dangerous organizational members. Corporate. So now we talk about corporate psychopaths. So this is this is where it's fun. Corporate psychopaths not only impact the well-being of workers, they also expose the organization to costly moral hazard and even workplace violence. Now, I'm only saying what the article says, so nobody out there in the uh, in the world yell at me. The proportion of psychopaths appears to increase at higher rungs of the corporate ladder. Okay, study by Dutton, 2012. Brain imaging could ultimately provide the most reliable means of identifying truly psychopathic individuals before they reach senior leaderships and i love this i see dr martha like in the on my screen over here i see this mark and i know she's got something to say about this and i love it so even those who exhibit lesser degrees of dark triad tendencies would still certainly benefit from reflection and training on such on these kinds of neurofeedback approaches and then a third area where uh, this can have an important practical implication is identifying entrepreneurial talent. Because here we looked at what's lacking in the current research in terms of what are the qualities and performances needed for entrepreneurs to identify, evaluate, and exploit opportunities. This type of imaging that we're looking at, whether it's the blood method or the EEG method, can help identify neural profiles across different types of entrepreneurs who are adept at evaluating opportunities. And and how now we're getting into like the prefrontal cortex type of stuff. It's also important with emotional processing. And now you look at risk aversion, how much is somebody somebody, you know, able to take chances and, and be a gambler. So now you're looking at emotional processing involved in like you know, risk versus reward types of behavior. So that's where this can be used. It says given brain plasticity, neurofeedback could be used to train entrepreneurs 
on opportunity evaluation and help managers better understand, this is important, how their verbal and nonverbal communication could have an effect either on either positive or negative on the teams that they lead. And how they do this is they they do this testing and, and, and look at communication and how it affects the people that are hooked up to these machines and how different things are received. So you've got leaders that someone might maybe in a leadership position hooked up. You've got maybe um, the response, the other participants that are hooked up. So it's this full scope of what messages stick, what's important. There's even um, something in here I remember about basically if you're a out group leader, meaning you're, I'm sorry, if you're an in group leader. So like you're talking about your own team, they take inspirational messages very well but if you're not they could become very if, if you're a leader just like coming in or some kind of a speaker or a uh, maybe a third-party trainer they take inspirational messages as not good they become skeptical so again now we're starting to see some real benefits of, of what this stuff can do and i think i've scratched maybe 25 percent of the takeaways from this article the last thing i want to get to i see the hands so there, there's, it's called functional magnetic resonance imaging, fMRI. And this is where they're looking at blood oxygenation level. Uh, they call it a bold signal. And it helps identify areas of the brain that are associated with cognitive or emotional processing. There are pros and cons, of course, of using the fMRI versus the EEG and those kinds of things in terms of looking at brain structure and how processes uh how, how they react to different stimuli uh there's pros and cons in terms of how fast it is uh and so forth but that gives us an overview of how it's done for the most part what are the implications how they're working these studies and there is oh so much more and then we also have uh other things like the the techie side to get into today so that said dr grajek let's go to you so what made me laugh was the commentary on the psychopaths. And I'll just say, I'm not going to say that psychopaths rule the world. I'm not going to say that. But what I will say is that I think it's important to be the devil's advocate here. We are scientists. We are um, people who love new things and love learning. But it's important to always be cautious with new science and new abilities and something, a phrase that uh, Dr. Jeremy, you had thrown in at one point is just because we can. Well, just because we can doesn't mean that we should. What does this really mean in terms of transparency? Is there such a thing as too much transparency? I don't know, maybe. So an organization may like this new ability through technology to figure out what kind of a leader someone is. But an individual may find that incredibly invasive. And then we have the argument that, all right, well, what if we made this kind of assessment a voluntary basis type of thing? Well, you can also make the argument that if somebody does not subject themselves to that, they will automatically be judged for it. And people will think, what do you have to hide? 
So just because we can do these things doesn't mean that we always should. We here can see the benefits and we get excited about it, but it's always, always important to throw those questions out there and to consider them. To what degree do we need to analyze a human being where now we're taking their blood samples and and you know looking at how their brain is reacting at what point is it too far so there are at least two arguments to this new ability to this new technology and it's important not to get lost in the excitement of what's possible and forget the individual and their rights and how much is too much and how far is too far. Those are great points for consideration. And we will go to Lee. Before we go to Lee, I, I realized that I probably started this rabbit hole of the, of the neuroscience thing. But just to broaden the scope, uh, we, 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 any, we, we can talk about anything in terms of how IS psychology relates to behavioral economics and industrial relations and any of that stuff on that particular doc, feel free. We can take it any direction we want. Lee, you're up. Well, you know, just to, to hold with, you know, the, the levity that I bring to these, I, I have to follow up Dr. Gradek with a, a Spider-Man quote, with great power comes great responsibility. So I just had to throw that out there. Um, you know, this this actually reminds me of something you would see on a science fiction film. So, I mean, I see these people sitting in their cubes, these things on their heads, and there's some, you know, evil scientist is, you know, checking out the stats and telling the, uh, you know, the the uh, the gazillionaire owner, uh, you know, of what's going on with with uh, the minions. And, and, and you know, my first thought is, you know, people being people. If I go in there and I say, okay, like, I want you to put this thing on your head and then we're going to do these things and we're going to see how you react. Um, that quickly turned into a Jeff Foxworthy skit. And I just can't see people really being willing to do that too much, especially when you're talking about, you know, your, your point of, well, we're going to get the, the leader person and put them up. And then we're going to take the other person, the, the person being led and hook them up and see how that I can see so much going wrong there. I mean, it's fascinating on an intellectual and science level, but I could see so much going wrong there. Um, and then from a practical aspect, um, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have an EKG machine. And so if I'm coaching somebody, the, the possibility of me being able to use this is pretty remote. Um, but with that said, we do know things about neuroscience and things that we can use in coaching. Uh, things like trying to extinguish behaviors and create new ones. Because we know that everything we do and do repetitively causes neuropathways to form in our heads. And so we know these things. And so when you're in your coaching, you can use that to say, okay, well, I can't change behavior. But I can create new behavior that create new neuropathways that are going to extinguish this old behavior that is not desirable. So there are there are definite things that we can do uh, in that realm. Um <clears throat> But I'm gonna. I'm not gonna go too far down the rabbit hole, though. I'm gonna give everybody else a chance to speak. So I'll uh, I'll stop there. With that, I'm going to I'm gonna open up the perspective on this particular issue. So when you, yeah. So I think the uh, the the hard point here is that part in the article where there is a company that 
offers this type of thing for companies specifically to hook their leaders up and identify that. So yes, yeah, so that's a that that could be a, definitely a point of contention. I'll say though that a lot of this. So when you look at we talk about the different um, disciplines. When you look at neuroscience, we're not looking at so much of a we're looking we're thinking about that one in terms of research. I psychology typically has been looked at more as a research related field, but that's what we're also trying to bridge that gap is make it make it known as that practical application field. So I'll play devil's advocate and say, all right, well, we have personality assessments. For example, I'll read here, Peterson investigated neurological underpinnings of psychological capital, which is a positive predictor of leader performance, et cetera, et cetera. How many assessments do we have? Assessments by default are flawed. That's why there's error. That's why there's standard deviation. So they're by themselves are flawed. So if we can get more accurate information, why not get more accurate information? So I'll play devil devil's advocate in that realm. And then I'll mention, I think the purpose of this whole neuroscience and organizations thing is not is not as much to hook people up while they're in the office and single out people specifically. I think it's more for the research aspect because they can understand what messages resonate with people. For example, just simply the finding that if you're a leader and you're not talking to an in-group, like an intact team that you have, it's better to not be so inspirational. It's better to be more, more practical in terms of your... So that's important. And that was gained strictly from this type of research. So... You're right. We've uh, we've definitely created a, a rabbit hole, but isn't this so much fun? Let's go to Nick. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation. I mean, we think about just the level of detail you get from some of these uh, scans and hooking people up to electrodes. It reminds me of you know those those micro cues we see when we talk about communication, the, the facial tick looking up to the left, and it's all fascinating. But without you know everything underpinning it. It can be wildly misused. We talk about, you know, generating a neural profile for entrepreneurs, and we've got to remember correlation does not equal causation. In fact, that you know, is is the brainway causing success or is success causing the brainway? We're going round and round like that. And I think with broadening the the conversation out to any you know interdisciplinary interaction, this is easy because you're getting metrics and maps of the of the mind and body. But if you're talking about sports psychology, you find that common ground of performance. Uh, if we talk about counseling psychology and, and interacting that with that, with that as IOs, we're talking about how to maintain and, and with relationships and things like that. So I think anytime you venture into another discipline's sandbox, you've got to first find that common ground. What are you looking to, to build upon with them uh, and then go from there to figure out how you guys can both uh, take and advance things for, for each field respectively. I like that. Advance each field respectively. Let's go to Aaron. All right. Oh, boy. I don't feel an hour was enough for this. There is so much to unpack, and it's really fun. Uh, my notes, let's see. So first, I think I'd like to close the rabbit hole talking about the, uh, the psychopathy and uh, neuroscience, and I'd like to speak a little bit to the Howard's article. So when we talked about psychopaths, what I think about um, is neurodivergence. And I'm not, let me reiterate this, I'm not putting psychopaths in the same bucket as neurodivergence for the sake of like DEI concepts like that. It's not like, hey, let's, let's you know, rally behind the psychopaths. No, I'm not doing that. But for the sake of this point, I'm saying, okay, well, we have so many different types of people. You know, if, if there are 
research coming up of, hey, psychopaths might end up higher on the rung. Okay, that also means these individuals that are like rushing towards and pushing towards, um, I think, to like sales. Like you, you want a lawyer that's a shark, you want a salesman that's pushing, but it's when things get cutthroat. And that's where the word of psychopath, it's associated with criminal behavior. And that's where we're trying to really focus on. There are strengths that can be leveraged. And as Ramu puts here in the chat, talking about the role of a coach is to help a person become his or her very best. And so working with individuals like that, of course, that is a case-by-case basis. But I want to talk to the chat for a second of what Linda Ann put like, yes, indeed, my brain goes to what happens if you were to identify psychopathic behavior, what would you be able to do about it that wouldn't blow up in your face? And I think, well, it's kind of, as Lee puts, running that risk of self-fulfilling prophecy as a response. Like, yeah, there's that little bit, but at the same time, wouldn't you rather know? That's kind of like what Jeremy had talked about. Wouldn't you want to know and get more accurate data? Because then you can do something about it or at least put them in different um, positions. It makes me think to like restaurants will hire anybody. And a lot of times you see that stereotype of, hey, you know, here's a, a convicted felon or something, a criminal, right? There's that that uh, red leather, scarlet leather or that um, uh, hanging over their head. And you say, okay, well, let's give you less responsibility. Let's give you a chance and see in like a line cook or something at a restaurant, give less responsibility. Now, I know in larger corporations, that's definitely a separate thing, but I wanted to at least make that point of, hey, you can work around it to a degree, to a degree, a very, very cautious degree, but to a degree. That said, I'd like to move to talking about kind of that concept of that neuroscience, you know, people with things on their heads, really keeping track of, hey, what are you feeling right now, et cetera, et cetera. What I thought of a, of was, you know, a lot of people have those apps on Fitbits that will randomly pop up and say, hey, check your blood pressure, or hey, here's a little survey about this thing. A lot of times, feedback can come in the form of that. So I think, well, what if you had a Fitbit that was connected to behavioral triggers? What if you had a Fitbit that just made a little little ding and said, hey, take a quick survey about this. What are you feeling right now at work at random times? That is also one version of bringing about this um, feedback. And then as far as the Howard's article, which I'd like to branch out and see if we can get some points going, because I see a lot of hands up as well. I want to talk to the page 430. It was uh, chapter 2.4, I think, or point 2.4. They talked about intrinsic neural research, which really interested me as they were looking at the intrinsic values of psychological capital in leaders. They looked at 55 leaders. And it makes me think also to psychological strength when it comes to change or leading uh, things like that. You think to hope is listed there, uh, resilience. And I think that's incredible that that could be a potential of Instead of looking at, hey, behaviors such as, you know, what are you doing efficiency-wise, uh, productivity, et cetera, really buckling down on those intrinsic behaviors because those are the ones that really motivate you more than the external, more than the money, more than um, the people you help. It's it's that internal feeling of motivation. And then finally, speaking a little bit to what Nick had mentioned about, you know, finding common ground, I think to coaching being a the quality of uh, excuse me the quality of your coaching coming from the quality of your life experiences and that leading to well if we're going to look at different frameworks is mentioned in this article of you know what if we looked at the framework for social psychology and applied it to an ios lens and it makes me think oh well there are also coaches that come from being teachers being um, communication specialists 
and finding your niche and your common ground there. So I'm interested to hear kind of the advantage, I think, of an IO psychologist is seeing various workplaces. So I'm interested to hear others' thoughts on those. All right, that concludes my little bullet point list. So I'd like to open up to Rich and hear uh, hear you guys' thoughts. Love it, Aaron. And like to your point on the on like that last point on the coaching, one of the benefits that came out of this um, these type of uh, neurological studies is it supported. Basically, they were able to show that inspirational coach coaching. When you talk about coaching and mentees, inspirational coaching styles activated more helpful parts of the brain than not. Uh, so you, it, it's almost like we can support or refute other research toward of these things. I'm going to, I'm going to steer this ship away for a little bit and get into the tech aspect with just some practical implications. And of course, uh, anyone else following me in terms of uh, the conversation, you can take it any direction you want. So this other article briefly, it's called IO psychology and technology, why reinvent the wheel. And the the authors consider six fields that are focused on technology oriented research, mainly engineering and computer science, human computer interaction, cyber psychology, and management information systems. And they do a pretty good job of saying, uh, look, here's what we don't know. I think this whole article is based on uh, chopping up and slicing up somebody else's research and saying, hey, you guys missed a lot of stuff. So here's where it is. Um, but you look at with what researchers can do in terms of uh, this thing called human computer interaction factors. It says, for example, IO researchers could test various technologies to prompt certain psychological effects like presence and discover that manipulating that might improve the user performance. So you can look at psychological effects through studying design elements. It says that IO psychology is entirely relevant to cyber psychology. Um, in fact, uh, it could even be considered that all research in the psychological effects of technology at work is a combination of both cyber psychology and IO psychology perspectives. And when you look at the knowledge and you're looking at where exactly does IO psychology fit in terms of the tech side, technology doesn't, IO psychology doesn't necessarily pull a whole lot from technology, but the reversal might be actually true. But before IO psychologists run out and say, hey, let's completely start to redesign these systems or create X, Y, Z, evaluate what are the existing models that are there and already created, look at the existing models and how can we address that through workplace applications, through applicable research and look at how those models in terms of anything from like user design, like UX and those kinds of things. And just either build on frameworks in terms of how technology um, is affecting people in the workplace and how we can look, take the existing frameworks and even build on those. So with that, I'm going to go to Linda Ann and we can take this any direction we want, the tech, the neuro, or any of these those other interrelated disciplinary, interdisciplinary related fields that we discussed earlier. Linda Ann. So that's what I was where I was going because <clears throat> this topic is way different than I had expected the conversation <laughs> to go. Um, and so I was looking for somebody to connect the dots for me, right? So we have this list of interdisciplinary um, occupations, and the topic was about fostering communication, you know, um, in in within the discipline within the dis or between the disciplines. Am I correct on that? 
yeah, what are the connections? How does how does IS psychology interrelate with one field and how does that so basically how does IS psychology pull from and give to other fields like your industrial engineering, educational psychology, data science, and so forth? Okay, so how would we connect the dots between what our where our conversation has been and those inner those disciplines? I don't know if it's necessary connecting the dots so there's one way there's one way to go about it is talk about io psychology and uh discipline x but of course all like a lot of these things are going to start to bleed into each other you might have three fields that are related to each other so there's conversation there i think in terms of connecting the dots today's a, a, an exploration mainly saying look io psychology isn't um this this uh it's not a siloed field. We can contribute to other fields that are like our field and also some stretch fields that you normally wouldn't think of IO psychology contributing front to or pulling from, for example, like anthropology. You know, that's not an exact straight line connection. So I think it's broadening our scope and the audience's scope of that. Yeah. But what do you think? I just needed a new, a different context on how to approach the the information. I because it was just so outside of where my head was. I just won't, needed it to be. Um, I need to get perspective. It's it seems like with all these podcasts, we could take we 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 could turn any podcast into fifty podcasts based on very specific topics, and that's you know it's par right. Yeah, that's always good to have a different way of thinking. I'm, I love that's why I'm here. Dr. Grajek, you are up next, it looks like. So going back to what Nick said about correlation and causation, it's important to remember the distinction between the two because with any new findings, any new scientific advancements, um, research methods, whatever we're applying in real world especially, it's important to remember that correlation is just that. Humans, and especially the human brain, is so complex that sometimes we get, I think, emotionally attached to our findings, to our research, and we want to say, this is what it means, and we want to translate for the lay population. This is what what the findings are telling us. But there is a degree to which we are speculating especially when it comes to humans and human behavior, because we are so complex and because the brain is so complex. And yes, some things can be more clear uh, than others, but it's important not to forget the complexity of the human brain. And that takes me to what Linda Ann brought up. There's a reason why there are all these different fields in whichever field you're in, whether it's IO, whether it's um, you know, HR or whatever it is, we tend to be attached to our fields because we chose them for a reason. And sometimes we, without meaning or knowing that we're doing it, we prevent ourselves from benefiting from other fields. I like to think of these fields oftentimes as complementing one another. And the idea has to be to talk to one another, to share our findings, so that even when you come across something that initially doesn't seem like it would benefit what you're doing, your work or your research or your application in the real world, 
there may very well be a way of utilizing that data, data from a different field that doesn't even seem like a, a complementary field at first glance. So this is where it all comes together because we are such interesting, complex creatures. There is a reason why there are so many different fields that deal with humanity. And talking to one another, sharing our data and seeing how we can apply each other's findings in our own work, that's where it all connects. And that's where I think the most benefits can be found as well. That's powerful. And that made me think of, you know, what's the what's one of the biggest challenges with the lack of branding for our field? It's, I mean, could you imagine if it, instead you say industrial organizational psychology? Normally it's, oh, so you psychoanalyze people and you're a therapist and we have to respond with, no, that's not what we do. Could you imagine if 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 it was instead, oh, so you're like neuroscience or, oh, no, you're like, uh, actually, we'd probably prefer you're like data science and analytics. I think we'd prefer that. Or, oh, you're like public administration or cognitive ergonomics. Could you imagine if that was the what we were assumed to be? But it's interesting how, like Dr. Martha said, there the human element is so interesting and understanding everything from anthropology to to technology can be impactful with how our field expands, pulls from to allow us to do a better job in our practitioner roles. Rich Cruz, you are up, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, as we're talking about like these inter, you know the cross disciplines and all that uh and we're talking about different data points like so i'm coming from a marketing background and we have we're always trying to think of what is going to make this person do this thing and do more of it right and so we're you know we're looking at google analytics and which has gotten much more complex since it's gone to ga4 and so now we're looking at behaviors of when people are doing what and what are they doing and where are they clicking and all of that stuff and then we're contextualizing that into what does that landing page have on it and why did they do that and you know all of that and uh and then you have like the what i've always termed as the ultra creepy advertising which is retargeting which is basically what did somebody do on this page and then on my social media, hey, they showed up on my social media. Has anybody ever had that? You know, you're on somebody else's website and then their ad shows up, you know. Um, you know, when I when I I think about that and I look over here on this list and marketing communications is one of those things that's on here. Um there's there's more than just like this biofeedback that we can get, right? I mean, there's a there's big data out there that can be leveraged. And to go to what Dr. G said earlier, though, you know, we have an ethical responsibility to use whatever data is collected to, uh, you know, do no harm, provide benefit. That's probably the single best thing that we can do, right? Uh, respect everybody, be fair, and be caring in what we do. Um, which, you know, of course, when you're if you're you know a psychopathic uh, uh, manager, that's probably not going to happen, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, you know, I, but I think that's that's the ideal that we, you know, we we strive towards, uh, you know, as psychologists or you know practitioners. Um, but yeah, I I, I just as, as we're talking and as I'm looking at like 
LinkedIn and Facebook or Meta, you know, their advertising platforms, you now have things akin to what you see in the Holland Code, where there's an interest profile, right? They're, they have an interest in certain, you have an interest in certain topics, right? Or uh, be certain other traits, like, um, are they, you know, not, not only are they, you know, married or whatever, but you know, are they looking for a job? Are they, you know, so there's this, there's, there, there are these kind of, um, uh, you know, psychometrics that have bled into marketing, you know, and we, I, I, I think one of the opportunities that we have as, uh, as, uh, practitioners, maybe even, you know, as consultants, uh, is to steer the conversation towards how, how can, the data that we analyze be used for benefit and not, you know, purely for, um, I don't even want to say just like financial gain, but, but, you know, purely for getting from point A to point B, you know, I mean, it really, we still need to, you know, respect everybody and, and, uh, you know, be fair in, in what we do. I love how you brought the marketing aspect into the, into the mix. Cause that's entirely a, a very relevant, uh, discipline that's connected I've said for years that marketing is the biggest consumer of psychology. I don't know if I still believe it or not. I think I just say it because I used to say it, so I still say it, <laughs> but it's definitely a large consumer of psychology. Uh, Dr. Lampy, you're up. So I go back to this analogy and I've used it here a few times. IO psychology is like a toolkit that helps make workplaces better for both employees and businesses. It's not just about understanding people at work, but also making work environments more productive and satisfying. So all of these things we've talked about, data collecting is good. It's necessary. But it's also about what you do or you don't do with that data that you've collected. Integrating IO psychology with related fields means using those tools with other areas of knowledge to solve uh, problems and improve function, improve how organizations and how people develop and how they grow. So imagine you have a puzzle and each piece of the puzzle represents a different field of knowledge. IO is one of those pieces and it fits well with those others like business management, human resources, technology, sociology. When you put all the pieces together, you get a much clearer picture of how to make a work, how to make workplaces great, how to support people, how to develop people. Um, so for instance, if a company, if an organization is wanting to improve its, its employee training program, they can integrate that IO psychology by using principles about how people learn, what people mo what motivates people, uh, but they can also bring in those uh, ideas from education experts, technology specialists, and even communication experts to create a, an overall well-rounded training that really works. Um, that's kind of, as we talk about enhancing and connecting, integrating with related fields, um, when we combine all the different aspects and uh, to put that puzzle together, Companies and organizations are able to ensure that their company, that their employees are happier, the business stays competitive. It's all about combining different areas of knowledge to find smarter solutions to challenges. It's teamwork for knowledge. When uh, different teams work together, when different areas work together, they create something more, uh, much stronger, more effective than they really could do on their own. I love that. I'm trying to keep up. So I went through and I, as you're talking, I highlighted. So you just hit various... Um interdisciplinary connections, the ones I was able to keep up with, organizational behavior, management science, this is all what you were, were talking about in terms of that integration, employee training and development, behavioral economics, cognitive science, social psychology, educational psychology, learning and instructional design, and there's probably some in there that I missed. So yes, I love it. Lee, you are up. You know, this whole conversation just kind of reminds me of how 
big IO is. You know, you know, my usual phrase, the Swiss Army knife of psychology. I mean, we touch everything. And, you know, and I think one thing that gets lost in the mix when we talk about niche is that just because you focus on something doesn't mean you lose everything else and that it all ties together. It all complements each other. And, you know, I look at this interdisciplinary list and I kind of think of it like like a next door neighbor. So they're 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 in your neighborhood, you know, but they're not in the same house. And But that doesn't mean you don't talk to your neighbor. So the key is not to get caught in our own echo chamber, but to reach out to these people in these other adjacent fields and, and collaborate because, you know, uh, like, like was mentioned before with the marketing and the learning and development, all those kinds of things that aren't necessarily straight stick IO, but it's related and relatable. So we can work with these people. We can share information. We can, uh, you know, it's more tools in your toolbox. And just because it may not be your, you know, particular niche does not mean that it doesn't have some relevance to you or that you don't have relevance to it. And uh, that's one thing we need to remember is that, you know, get out of the sandbox, you know, because there's other things that apply that we can learn from that are just, we can do amazing things as long as we don't, you know, get the blinders on and, and uh, you know, pinpoint too much. I love it. Thanks, Lee. Nick, let's go to you. I think that, uh, there's a couple things that jump out to me. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy about, you know, the field of IO psychology is we operate on so many levels of perspective. We look from the individual experience to the organizational, to the global trends and keep shifting in and out of these different levels of Zoom. Um, and I think that these are, you know, related fields that if we take their perspective for 10 seconds, we'll see something slightly different. Uh, we just started looking for, for our next home. And there was one site that I was looking at. Not only did it show you the picture, but on the floor plan, it showed you the perspective from which the picture was taken. So I think with all these related disciplines, you see the same room, but somebody's standing at the front door, somebody's standing by the fireplace. Um, and when you see where that perspective is grounded, you can kind of understand where they're at. You know, we talk about behavioral economics, you know, you can get into motivation and, you know, how much success is enough um, and contentment. So there's, a ton, a ton of things where you start to to put on somebody else's hat for five seconds and you go, oh, I see the dot in that room and I can see where the thread can get there. What if we work together? Oh, that's just this, but by a different name. Um, and I think that's, again, that exciting point. If you, you jump dip up and down, you can also jump left, right, and, and in 360 degrees to really get the total picture of what's going on. I like that. I like when you mentioned foundational too, because IO psychology, of course, has its foundations, right? Just as, as individual, we have our foundations, but we also learn from others, give to others. And overall, it's a, it's a great analogy. Looks like we are running up on time. So upcoming, we have, ooh, this is exciting. So next week, uh, same time, same place. Topic is intrapreneurship and IO psychology, driving innovation within organizations. We, we also have, so Lee's pop-up networking, IO Psychology pop-up networking, that's tonight at 6.30 and Eastern. And next Wednesday, we have our first Keeping the Drive Alive monthly post three-day event gathering where we can keep all the momentum and see where that goes in terms of takeaways from the event, what people can do, action items, and how we can, well keep that particular drive alive. With that said, a great time. Great discussion, everyone. Thank you.
and we'll see you next week. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At Seabock.com.